WFAE's David Borex has the story. Tariq Bakari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bakari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail in part over their beards, says Bakari. The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an example of how to debate productively across the political divide. Yeah, episode 56, we talk about the 9th Congressional, tonight's strategy session, and a letter on immigration. Episode 56, welcome for the people listening. For the first time, welcome. And on Facebook, welcome again. Welcome to the first Because we had to uh, we had to redo that. Episode 56, it's only been a couple of days since we were with you on Thursday. Not a lot to talk about. We will be brief. We had a strategy session tonight, and there are some updates in the 9th Congressional District. We'll talk about those a little bit. Some people that are in, some people that are out, and we have a timeline now. And uh, which one do you want to tackle first? Let's start on the 9th. I mean, that's the, that's the news of the day. So it is, and uh, if you don't have the timeline handy, I will try to pull it up myself. I do. I did. It's in my bag over there, so I don't now. All right. Well, we'll pull it up. But we have had some updates uh, from your side of the aisle as far as the the Democrats and the Libertarians. We think it's still going to be Dan McCready and Jeff Scott, your buddy from the city council race in 2017. And uh, not expecting much serious competition there. But a May primary, and in your party's primary, it is going to be a crowded house. Uh, but there's some folks whose names have been bounced around that are not going to be in so that. So we learned today Kenny Smith is out. Um, Dan Barry is out. Dan Barry is out. Uh, we know that... Boss Hawk's still in. Uh, his name is... Stony Rushing. Stony Rushing. And he is in. Um, we don't know... Still meaning no harm. So t- t- Tommy uh, Tucker... Tommy Tucker, I have heard, is in, former uh, state legislator from Union County. Uh, Stony Rushing, a.k.a. Boss Hog, also from Union County. And then uh, some Mecklenburg names We're that people will know. We're waiting to hear on the rumors that have just literally started in the last 24 hours uh, about uh, Dan Bishop, our only other, uh, the only Republican that survived uh, the last year's election in the legislature from our delegation. So... Interesting to see what Dan is going to do. That changes the dynamics a little bit because I really hadn't heard his name at all through this process. No, I'd not heard it once. And uh, for all of the people who were just about every uh, prominent Republican in the in the vicinity of here and and of this district had been mentioned as a possibility. uh, And yet that name had never come up. And he's apparently going to be in. So uh, I do have the dates in front of me now. The primary is going to be May 14th. So I think filing will open uh, next week. Uh, I don't know exactly what the length of the filing window will be. But, one week. Uh, just one week. So this is all going to happen really fast. They're going to file and then have a May 14th primary. So they'll have almost exactly two months uh, to fundraise and get the word out. So, And this is not a, a small district geographically. I mean, you can drive several hours east from Charlotte uh, Mecklenburg County's portion of it only makes up about a fourth of the district population-wise, but geographically, it's very, very large. And, and to cover that ground, um, particularly for somebody like Senator Bishop, who will also be serving uh, his role in the General Assembly, would would 
seem a tall task. So, I mean, a lot of it's going to be, can people raise money quickly, get out mailers, um, get volunteers deployed and get their word, get their word out and their name out. Um, and how much do people know some of these Mecklenburg and Union County names that we know because they're very close to us geographically, but how many people know those down in the eastern part of the district? So the, the thing that concerns me on this timeline, and this is what I was kind of holding my breath for uh, and watching for it, was the same, the same kind of thing we saw happen last year in that um, the top of the ticket is, was essentially the ninth district. And when Harris and McCready went after each other, McCready went after him for the ads we saw on TV and everything, but he attacked him pretty heavily in Mecklenburg and Harris responded, defended himself and attacked pretty heavily in the Eastern part of the rural parts of the district going towards the coast almost. So that was one of the things that many of us attribute to the clean sweep in the County commission, Matthew Ridenauer losing his seat, things like that. And if there is a runoff, which which so, which so let more, me cover yeah, that in that. the timeline. So May fourteenth, you're going to have a primary. The new threshold to avoid a runoff in a primary is thirty percent. Thirty percent in a four or five or six way race might be hard to get to. And so, if there if someone does get thirty percent in the May fourteenth primary, there will be a general election held uh, for that Republican against Dan McCready and Jeff Scott, presumably uh, on September tenth. Which is well. There's um, another thing happening on September 10th. Yeah, that would be our primary. Our primaries. And so that will be interesting to see the impact that has on turnout for the portions of the ninth congressional district that are in Charlotte. And there are some. In fact, three of my precincts overlap with the ninth. I'm sure a good bit more of yours overlap with the ninth. If there a good bit. If there is not, um, if there is not someone who gets 30 percent in this May 14th Republican primary, then the runoff as i understand it would be pushed to that september 10th date for just the republicans uh, presumably which would be interesting because then you'd you'd potentially have more republicans turning out to vote in that runoff there would it'd be very unlikely that there'd be a libertarian or a democratic runoff so they so the, might not be as exactly. I mean, so that could really change your oh, dynamic dude, it could be it could be as devastating as was last year now Macro well, trend in the in the primary, your Republicans would only be turning out to vote. Oh, I'm talking about the uh, the but scenario I'm worried then, about is this. But then the, that runoff would force the, their general election to our general election, which would be uh, in November. So, so, like, I'm worried that Dan Bishop, Matthew Ridenour, Stony, um, Tommy, all four, and then a couple others we don't know, all garner between 15 and 25 percent of the vote. No one hits the 30 percent threshold. A runoff happens September 10th, which is during our primary, and then they have two months to then campaign in the general, and now that general will be a, basically a, a, a rematch of whoever it is, or McCready and whoever is new in the spot, happening the exact same times um, that we're running in our general, which I don't know how that affects you guys, but for myself and Ed Driggs, the lone two Republicans left – that covers most of our district, and my hope is that it's, you know, whoever it is, I hope the, the Republican also invests in the Mecklenburg area. Um, Sam Spencer has weighed in and said, Tark, Republicans want a runoff. Sam, do we, Sam? Sam, feel free to weigh do in with we, your Sam? analysis there. I mean, it's it's hard to predict all of the impacts that could have I, I on a municipal race. I am firmly because, against a runoff. Now. Because, I mean, it will impact the um, 
your fundraise, anybody's fundraising oh, ability. It's already going to impact. Uh, it'll impact turnout in, in ways that I think are going to be hard to predict. And again, some of our city council districts have none of the ninth in them. I have maybe 10% of my district is in the ninth versus the 12th. This yours is probably is three only, quarters of yours. This is pretty much only going to impact Republicans. In a negative well, way. Well, I mean, again, depending on when their general is, is if their general is in September or it's in November, either way, it's going to affect turnout significantly on both sides. So I think it's hard It's hard to predict. I'd love to uh, – Sam's analysis is if it's a big Dem primary during the gen, NCO9 general, then Dems have a great reason to turn out. Yes. <laughs> Not sure I follow what he's – I think that's – so, yeah, so we don't want that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's scary. So we'll see what happens. Um, my hope is that to me that negates what he said, because I would think that if, exactly, if there's a, if there's a big motivation for people to turn out and vote for McCready over the Republican, uh, maybe that he was would, just, maybe he was just Yoda kind of Jedi mind tricking me of he's trying start, to make you think you run off a Republicans want. Yeah. I don't know. Didn't do I don't that. get star Wars humor. Um, oh, this is another reason you're not going to win. All have right. I ever told you that I've never seen Star Wars? Wait a minute. Shut up. Dead serious. Never You've seen, never seen any Star Wars movies. Not one minute of a How single Star Wars movie. How is this even possible? I or think Star wife, Trek. I think your I've, wife tuned in for like, what, somebody just gave you hearts for that. Um, I think your wife tuned in for like one second. If she's still on, that's one, I have to say, how how is this possible? I think she just... Jumped off. It must have been an accident. It was an accident. Like, wait, close, close. Krista, my wife just said, oh boy, that is unacceptable. You have one piece of homework in the next week. I've also not seen any Star Trek. All right. Well, I mean, that's fine. Like, we got to start small. Let's start with Star Wars. It doesn't seem like starting small. Episode five. It also seems very out of order. I don't. It's okay. I don't know, but I would presume that episode five is not Stress where to start. Me on this. All right. Well, I'm glad we figured that out. So, Anybody else in the comments? Feel free to weigh in and let us know if you've also not seen Star Wars. I'm certain I'm not the only one. Okay. So uh, our buddy David Borak says, <laughs> "What Larkin never seen Star Wars? How can that be?" Well, I think we've all learned a lot more about Larkin. Sam doesn't recognize you. Henry says, "I think the new primaries law ought to be." challenged because when the fraud took place, there was a different law. The new law requiring primaries is retroactive. This would not work with the other. I don't think so. I think if you're talking about the 30% threshold that actually was in place for the 2018 elections, it was not in place for our 2017 elections. I'm not sure if that's what he's talking about, but that 30% threshold was there 2018. So that's not changing. Uh, That was the first year that that was in place. So um, are there other names being bounced around? We have to say this last one, and this is a question I'm going to pose to you, Larkin. How can you understand rezoning if you don't know about the Galactic Trade Federation and Darth Maul? I mean, how? Uh, I don't know anything about those items, so I don't know what that has to do with zoning. A lot of times when I'm making zoning decisions, I am inspired by my memories of Tatooine and what happened on that planet. Explains some of your your votes. Underwater layers. Um, of uh, of Gungans. Yeah, I got nothing. Is that Tatooine? I'm not sure. All right, we digress. Yeah, I, I apologize. No, you everyone. digress. Uh, what what else we got, man? So that's the end of the ninth, right? Yeah, I mean, we you know, like no you runoff. said, 24 hours ago, no runoff. 24 hours ago, nobody knew Senator Bishop was was running. I'm sure some people did. None of well, us. I don't knew. think he's he has not announced yet. But I think a lot of people are wondering. But so we got a week till the open, till the filing starts, and people got to uh, you know put up or shut up. 
And then we got another week until it closes. So who knows who else could pop into this, but it'll be interesting to see, to see too, in terms of the serious candidates, there'll probably be some crackpot candidates out there that just have no chance, but of the serious candidates, if you've got multiple Mecklenburg, multiple union, uh, do you have anybody from down East that's a serious candidate, the Eastern part of the district? And how does that dot divide up the vote geographically? It's going to be really interesting to watch people run a congressional race that quickly. Um, and, and who can raise money that quickly? It's also going to be interesting to see if the white house breaks some of their norms and decides to weigh into this. They haven't normally done that in kind of pre-primary situations like this, but I think everyone who's seriously looked and considered this race has to be thinking about the element that this is going to be a national race. This is going to be the first race on a national stage that is the precursor it's to 2020. It's going to 3 a.m. tweets it's, from the president. I mean, it's going to be totally out there, and um, and we're already starting to see some but of that. But does the president pick a horse, and then if he, you know, quote, if he quote picks the wrong horse, then does that damage them? So, I mean, it's... I mean, to, to, but, but regardless, he's staked into this. Yeah. I mean, whoever is in this general election, they're going to call this a referendum on Trump. And this is an R plus 10 district. So when well, you know. to some degree, it might be a referendum on Mark Harris too. I mean, Stony rushing has gotten Mark Harris's endorsement. Does that help him more than it hurt him, hurts him or hurt him more than it helps him? It's hard to know. Uh, there's certainly people who probably voted for Harris the first time that wouldn't again, do they then vote for the person he endorses or do they look a different direction? So there's a whole lot of complexity to this. Uh, thank you to my friend, Bobby, who chimes in that she's also not seen star Wars. Well, um, you two have found each other. Yes. It's fantastic. We can not watch Star Wars together. Yes. Um, tonight's strategy session, a little bit longer than I was expecting because mm. uh, we spent about an hour and a half on our first item, which was our partnership with Lisk. What were your takeaways there? <laughs> Lisk, well, so we should clarify, Lisk is an organization that has set up shop in Charlotte. They have operated and continue to operate all around the country. Uh, they do a lot of stuff around affordable housing, neighborhood development. And, um, and they will be assisting in us deploying our strategies and our dollars uh, towards the affordable housing goals and, and neighborhood development goals we've set. Uh, they set out tonight a very, um, a very large flowchart. Yeah, it was more like a shock and awe campaign to confuse us. Two of the complicated buckets in there were designed specifically for you. One of them was um, uh, um, ribbon cuttings, and ribbon cuttings, and then the one before it was groundbreaking. But there's a lot of there's a lot of boxes that are a little bit more heavy than that. My, my take on it was: I think we're lucky to have a good national name brand organization in town. I think we're lucky to have the private sector, the banks, everyone who's gotten behind this. Um, but I think there's a lot of confusion on what Lisk is here to do versus we're not throwing the keys to the affordable housing crisis car to some third party to go take care of everything in the world. And I also, you know, I was also confused by some of the positioning they had where, I mean, they positioned and said, basically, you know, there's this one door that everyone who wants to do anything enters. So why do they need to look at 9% deals? I know I'm those who follow the show, the weeds, we've talked about 9, 9% are the deals, though, that the federal government gets behind. And um, it's it's the competitive money. We get about three to four a year. Um, but they, they, you know, they made the case today. They need to be part of that. They'll have no touch point into it. So I, I'm a little nervous that we're 
you know, we're taking something that's already a big bureaucracy, the city of Charlotte and what we do, and we're adding new layers of bureaucracy onto it. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's just, well, um, we, that, that might be true. And also we might be adding to our effectiveness because if we've got, if we've got more help, both from an organizational standpoint, a technical standpoint, and we've got more help from a financial standpoint, then are we able to accomplish more? Probably. Does it make it a little more complicated? Possibly. I think they've also got the opportunity to bring a lot of best practices and lessons learned, both good and bad, from all of the other cities that they've worked in and say, well, actually, we saw this in Kansas City or wherever, and, and it didn't work as well as we had hoped it would, but this strategy that we deployed in, a, in St. Louis did work really well. And so I think, you know, it's not always apples to apples that something that worked in one part of the country is going to work in Charlotte, but I think they do bring a lot of experience. They do have a long track record of success. Um, I think it's going to yield ultimately better results, even if there's some learning curve and there's some frustration in the added layers, as you said, of the process. We shall see. Uh, Representative Wesley Harris has joined us as well as former mayor pro tem Lynn Wheeler on ah, Facebook. Good day, both of uh, you. We got Hello. Thanks for joining. Weigh in with uh, any, any anecdotes of your, uh, your experience. Wesley has just started his term down there in Raleigh, so interested to hear how that's going. We need to get some of the uh, the new legislators we on do. the podcast. We do. So uh, we had hoped to do that when we were in Raleigh two weeks ago, but just ran out of time. So what else did we talk about? <clears throat> we talked about the Aging in Place program. Uh, I think we've discussed that on the show a handful of times. There has been an in- immense amount of interest. We've already had over 1,000 people in the city express interest in this program as we've said before, there's a huge demand out there for people who are interested in having lower taxes. Well, this will not this will not lower their taxes from what they have been. This will help bridge the gap for low income seniors who are homeowners. Um, you know, we, we could just grants. lower taxes across the board and really help everyone. You better just cross your fingers for revenue neutral. <laughs> you're, you're totally right. Um, <laughs> so it'll we'll be issuing grants of between a hundred and a thousand dollars to help offset an increase in someone's tax bill if they're a low-income senior who is a homeowner. And so that sounds like a very narrow pool of potential folks to partake in it. And yet we've already had over a thousand folks express interest. We've had a hundred and some folks that have already filled out the pre-application. It's really interesting. They had a, a scatter map um, that showed where the folks who've done the pre-application reside. And there was a good handful in every single one of our districts. So that was interesting too. Even in looking in my district, there were some folks in Sedgefield and one person in Uptown. And so it was, I would have maybe expected that the, now these people might not all end up qualifying, but presuming that they've looked at the information and self-identified whether or not this might, this program might, they might be qualified for it. uh, It was a far more geographically diverse, um, map than I would have expected. And there was, there were certainly some in yours. There was some in, in district seven. Um, so it, it goes to show, I mean, there are people in every part of our city who probably bought their homes long ago when 45 wasn't there or when, you know, other things weren't there and would have never foreseen the development and the growth of the city and thereby the increase in the property value. And it's a good thing at whatever point they decide to sell it, but it could be, something that displaces them in the meantime. And and the man who actually created this has, idea, Justin Harlow, city councilman from District Dose, is it? Yes. Just, <clears throat> just Spanish is live, amazing. Live stream. I speak, I speak Spanish. Um, 
but yeah, that, that was his brainchild back in last year's budget process. And And, Councilman uh, Driggs, I think had a good thought today, which is this is a great way for people to be able to absorb this, this change in this first year. And it will help give them time to decide what the best path forward for them is long-term, but they're still going to have that same property tax bill increase next year. And so we can continue to fund this program. And I think we should, but his point tonight was, and, and the mayor weighed in on this as well, is there a way to create, a make this more of a revolving fund than just uh, a line item in the budget every year? Do we start to maybe in the second year of the program say, as we continue to assist you with this $400 increase in your property tax bill, that is applied as a lien against your house. And then at, which, at whatever point you sell your house, and you will realize that gain in value, then you pay it back into the I fund. I think that is totally acceptable. You're helping with somebody with a short-term cash flow. You're helping today, get them to the point where they decide to sell that house. But they still have value years. and equity that's yeah. that's inherently created at this time. And then they pay it forward to the next person. And so I think that's how it becomes a revolving fund. And we will have to seed that revolving fund uh, for a couple of years likely. But then as the money starts to return, as people do sell their house um, – or it's, it's passed along to a family member who might not be eligible, or whatever the case would be, then we'll start to see money coming back in from the people that we have previously invested in. And it does allow people to age in place for as long as they want. That lien will not be a burden on them at the point that they sell the house because they'll realize that that gain in value that caused the tax bill increase in the first place. Yep. And then we can continue it through four years from now when there's another reval. Yeah, there's a simpler process to the whole thing, though. Lower, lower taxes, taxes for everybody. Well, but here's the thing: we could lower, we could lower our revenue. We are going to be lowering the tax rate regardless of what happens. We could lower our total revenue, and some of the parts of my district would still see a tax bill increase. Same here. There are people who are seeing 200 percent increases. In fact, one of the people in 28206, which is uh, the North End area that Dr. Harlow and I kind of share representation of, someone who has applied, done the pre-application for this program, saw 188% value increase in their property. There is no realistic amount we could lower our revenue in setting this tax rate that would get them to a tax bill neutral. So there's going to be people who are going to see a tax bill increase regardless of what yes. we do on, on our tax rate. And so I think it's a great program. I think uh, Ed and the mayor's point about – um, making it more of a revolving fund. They didn't use that term, but that's kind of how I envision it, um, is that we, we're putting money out, but then we have a stream where it's coming back in over time, and that pays it forward and allows more people to benefit from this and to stay in their homes, stay in their neighborhoods. And I think that's how this can have uh, a very long – this program could be in perpetuity at that point as opposed to just the city shelling out a half a million dollars that will never see every single year in the budget. Um, so I hope that we'll dig into the the possibilities of, of making it that kind of a program going forward so that it can exist a very long, very long time. Yep. So what else? So the mayor, uh, penned a letter today. We had a chance to talk to her ahead of time. We also, uh, did, did a few things. What, what were, what were your thoughts on the letter Larkin? <laughs> First I have to, I have to say, Hey, to, uh, Amy Peacock, uh, Amy Peacock. Our, our friend Edwin's, better half she's glad to see that you and i are wearing ties i guess the presumption was that us uh us wild millennials have completely have completely written off ties 
Well, I'm almost, I turned 39 yesterday, so yeah, I'm so this close all, to becoming a boomer. Yep. Mm-hmm. The greatest generation. Thank you, Andy. You're part Good of the greatest generation. The greatest now. generation. Um, Soon enough. So Mayor Lyles did. And, and so we talked about on Thursday all the folks who came down and spoke about all the immigration issues, the concerns in the community. And we talked about the fact that she has been very focused on action, very focused on results, less focused on things that are really more formalities or symbolic that, that wouldn't yield result, tangible results. Uh, but the community said, we appreciate the action. We want the action. Um, but we also just want an affirmation that our elected officials have our back, that our mayor and our council support us and care about us. And even if that doesn't accomplish something specific, it's important to us to hear that. Um, you know, I guess the difference between showing someone you love them, that doesn't mean they don't also want to hear that you love them. And so it's, it's a both. And the mayor said, if, if that's what the community feels very strongly about, if that's what the community needs from me to know that I, as their mayor support them, uh, then she wanted to, she wanted to follow through on that. She did. It was something that she presented tonight at the meeting. Uh, I'm sure it's online for folks to read and it did. It just affirmed our support for the community. It affirmed, our our view of Charlotte as a welcoming city um, and reiterated that CMP is not cooperating with federal immigration agencies, um, but did so in a way that's not bombastic. It just said, we support you, we are here for you, uh, and we value the diversity that the immigrant community brings to our city. Yeah, I mean, she's... The one thing I don't think anyone can take away from her, she's balanced, she listens, she responds, but she always makes sure she balances, you know, empathy and heart with pragmatic reality. So if I, if I was in her shoes, I, would, I wouldn't have done that. And it doesn't mean that I don't care. I've got good news for you. Yeah, that'll never happen. Great. <laughs> Me nor any other Republican in the world will ever uh, have that uh, have that opportunity. But I mean, the, not the, unless like a comet hits the city yeah. and you're the only person left. Like the designated survivor. Yeah. <laughs> should we do that? We should start doing that every week. I was going to make a joke. But let's I'm not think going about to. it. So listen, but all I'm saying is this: that letter is absolutely going to accomplish nothing but make the small group of people who wanted some letter. Uh, to be published, to be out there in the uh, in in the ecosystem, what the real work is is the fact that she created a committee led by you, who have been working and planning. And with Frederico, you guys are about to go out into the community and really gather what, as I said to you the other day, what my hope is is not some big thing of let's fix immigration from Charlotte from a municipality. It's going to be let's find the twelve to 24 things, small things that are in our wheelhouse that we can help with the fear and anxiety and challenges that are being experienced in our city right now in the interim until this problem actually gets fixed by the people who need to be fixing it. So I think what... Um, and she's getting heat for it, even today. People are like, it's not far enough. What do that, you want that a was proclama- be, well, A proclamation does nothing but potentially Well, this alienate. was essentially a proclamation anyway. Yeah, there's, it's, it's, you're splitting hairs thing. there. Um, if, if you're saying it should have been a proclamation, it was a letter from the mayor. That's a, pretty much the, the same thing. Yeah. But, um, and I talked to her earlier today about it. The fact of the matter is it didn't matter what she wrote. There, there would have inevitably been people who said it's not enough. So it, I think the fact that she wrote it uh, will demonstrate to people that she's listening. 
uh, it will demonstrate that she cares, which I think all of us agree the action she has taken should have demonstrated she cares. But if this is important to people, then it's important to people. And so there will be people that no matter what she says, don't think she's done enough, don't think the council's done enough. There, there are some that will not be appeased regardless of anything. So, you know, I, I think it, it, it does no harm in my mind. And if it makes some people feel better, feel comforted, feel more supported, then there's value in it. I will say, um, and I might make this a weekly thing, the, all of the community meetings that the, that the immigrant, uh, committee that I am chairing for, uh, the mayor asked me to chair, we are operating on a 45 day timeline and that's 45 days from when she created the committee. So we're 15 days into that. That's largely been planning. Uh, the next 30 days will be executing. And so all of the community engagement events, uh, will take place in the month of March and we will report out in April. We wanted this to be very quick. Um, we wanted to be able to get to action very fast, uh, and not make this some long drawn out process. So, uh, the first opportunity to engage with that will be on Saturday, uh, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., March 9th, at Inspira on at 3909 Monroe Road. There's going to be an immigrant business outreach event. That's really going to be specifically tailored to our international business community. And then the first event that will be more focused on um, the immigrant community at large and focused on policy items that the committee can bring forward to council to act on is going to be on March 14th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Charlotte Bilingual Pre-K at 6300 Highland Avenue. Um, and then I'll go, as we go through from week to week on the podcast, I'll mention more uh, dates as they come up. But that full schedule will be available through the city online. Um, we intentionally are going out in the community, not asking the community to come to us. These are places that already serve uh, or are patronized by folks in the immigrant community. And so it's places they know, places they're comfortable and it's not asking folks to come to the government center. Uh, we go out to them and, and we want to co-create solutions with the community that are actionable for the council and, and bring those forward in a very, uh, a very aggressive timeline. But I think uh, it will, it will prove to be effective. And, um, and as I've said, I think last week when we talked about it, I'm committed Federico Rios, who's leading it from a staff perspective is committed and everybody on the committee is committed to making sure that there are action items from this that are within our purview, things we can do that will make a difference in, in Charlotte and with our immigrant community. Uh, and that we don't just, this does not just yield a report, uh, that, that nothing has ever done about. Okay. Um, what else do we, uh, we, uh, we approved, uh, an airplane hangar tonight. Cool. Lowe's Home Improvement is going to be moving their airplane fleet from the uh, Iredale Statesville Airport down to Charlotte, and they'll be building a new hangar there. So the airport continues to grow and continues to be a great economic engine for Charlotte. Um, Where are you headed next week? We are uh, every all but three council members, and the mayor and the manager and, and several other staff members will all be in D.C., We'll be meeting with uh, a lot of our congressional delegation. We should be able to get a good couple podcast uh, episodes there, right? Yeah, I would imagine that um, that that any and all members of the United States Senate would avail themselves to uh, to us for an interview. Well, we don't even have to like tell them. You know, we yeah. <laughs> <laughs> would just like sneak up behind them and record them, and yeah. later well, later we could splice in our voices. Yeah. So um, with all with all of the uh, maybe our goal should be. As we walk the halls, I mean, you randomly encounter members of Congress when you're on Capitol Hill. We should probably get uh, see if we can get to one of the presidential candidates. Done. 
and I can't imagine that their security detail would have any issue with us going and sticking a microphone in their face uh, when they realize that it's the guys from R and D in the QC. Yeah. This is going to assume them. everyone in Washington listens to they it. They all listen. They all listen. So good. So that's that half dozens of them. I'm sure. Tens. So, uh, we'll be up there on Monday, Tuesday, coming back Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be on the Hill on Wednesday. We'll be in national league of cities, meetings and sessions Monday and Tuesday. And, uh, yeah, we should, maybe we can do a remote podcast, but we ought to be able to get some good interviews and, um, and have them for our listeners. All right, man. You got anything else? I don't think so. Call this one a a, a short one. Let's do it. We're 33 minutes in. That might be a new record. I think so. I love it. All right. Well, that was episode. What was it? 56? 56. We're really getting up there, man. Getting old. We're getting close to the greatest generation. That's just you, man. I'm a millennial for life. Nope. All right. We appreciate you listening. Make sure you share, like, rate, do all those things. We love you. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Who win it now?